Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. Let's start with a little bit of humor, then we'll get into God's word. It says that a couple of friends that were retired were playing poker. Don't be playing poker. This is just a joke, okay? They were retired and they were playing poker and uh, Jim happened to get a hand and he thought that it was a really good hand. So he decided to put $500 on his hand. Well, what Jim didn't know was that Will had a better hand than he did. And when the cards were revealed, Jim lost his $500. He was so shocked by it that he had a heart attack and died at that moment. The rest of the friends were in shock. And after the shock went away, they said, oh, we got to go tell his wife. How do we do that? Who does that? Well, Will, who had had the better hand, said, I'll do it. They told him, well, if you're going to do it, you're going to have to be graceful, understanding, kind. You're going to have to be full of heart. And he says, I got this. I think I'm the perfect person. I have the perfect qualities to break these bad news. So Will, standing outside of Jim's uh, house, and before he knocks on the door, he takes one deep breath. He rings the bell and Jim's wife comes out and she says, is everything okay? And he says, no, not really. He says, Jim just lost $500 in a poker hand and he's too scared to come home. (laughs) To which she replies, tell him to drop dead. (laughs) (laughs) Let's pray. Presses in this place, Lord. It's good for us to laugh because we can let our guard down. And Lord, better than laughter is your love and truth. And as we go into this message, that that is what we're banking on. That is what we're clinging to, your truth and your love for us. Father, I pray for those in this room who do feel guilt, who do feel shame, who have had bad experiences in marriage, I pray that you would hold them tight during this series. I pray that you would pour your love on them and heal them, Lord. And Father, I pray for every marriage that it would be fruitful, that it would be healthy, that it would be something they enjoy. I pray for those that are single and that one day will be married. I pray, Lord, that you would shape them so that they don't just find the right one, but that they become the right one. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I want to start our series by asking you a question. And the question is a simple one, but a powerful one. And that is, who's winning? Who's winning? 
You know, at home, I watch a lot of sports. Uh, uh, I'm a big fan of sports. And often when I'm watching sports, Kaylee, my, my second daughter, she'll come in and sit with me and she'll ask me two questions. First question she asks is, Dad, who are we rooting for? And second, are they winning? When my team is winning, I feel good. Last Sunday felt good. It felt happy. I was excited. I was grateful. I was at the parade and I had nearly lost my voice. When your team is winning, it feels good. I know there's a lot of Raider fans. I haven't felt that way in a long time. But when my team is losing, well, then all the opposite is true, right? We get frustrated. Some of you get mad. You've broken TVs. You've, right? Now, if we, if this happens, and if we feel this way for something that really doesn't matter in life, how much more should we pay attention to the question, who is winning in my marriage? Or what is winning in my marriage? And if you're not married, well, let me modify that question for you. Who or what is winning in your life? Let me show you a picture and ask you a question. If you follow us on social media, we post this up and we, we ask you to vote on it. And I want to show you a picture and ask you, who is winning in this marriage? Who is going to win in this marriage? Now, is this a marriage that will win? See, the answer to the question, who is winning, really matters. It doesn't matter if your team wins or not, but it does matter who is winning in your marriage or what is winning in your life. Because the score, the score will tell you the true condition of your marriage. Will tell you how healthy your life is. And maybe you say, Pastor, but I didn't know marriage was a game. It is not. It is not a game. It's something even better. It's a fight. No, not with each other. Not with your mother-in-law. It is a fight for peace. It is a fight for harmony. It is a fight for faithfulness. It is a fight for happiness. And most importantly, it is a fight for unity. Marriage is not a game. And perhaps that's what's wrong with marriage, that we see it as a game, when in reality, it's a fight not with each other, but for each other. A fight for unity. Look at what Mark 10, 7 through 9 says. If you have your bulletin you, inside, there's an outline. You can pull that out. Follow along with me. Look at what Jesus said. This explains why a man leaves what? Leilani, can you go back to that picture? What hand should this man let go of? According to Jesus. The mom. Amen? Thank you, Leilani. Let's go back to the verse. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother, and it's what? Joined, united 
to his wife. And the two are united into what? One and a half? Into one. Since they are no longer what? Two, but what? One. Let no one split apart what God has joined together. See, unity is what gives marriage strength. The good and the pleasant of marriage is found when a marriage has unity. And that is why Jesus says in that passage that we read, he says they are no longer two, but what? But one. That is why Paul later on says, he who loves his wife loves himself. Because we're no longer two, but we are one. And then Jesus gives, gives a divine commandment. This is a divine commandment. And he says, let no one split apart what God has joined together. See, here's what, here's what we, we know, but we forget. There are forces that want to split us apart. There are things that want to divide us in marriage. Because if they can divide us, then the marriage loses. And not all those things are bad things. Sometimes kids divide marriages. Sometimes, like for example, even in people in my case that are pastors, ministry can divide marriages. And if you want a better marriage, if you want a new marriage, that's why we've titled this series. If you want a healthy marriage, if you want a successful marriage, well, then we're going to talk about five things that are essential to have and do in order to have a successful, healthy marriage. The marriage that you want. And you can have it with the same person. So today we're going to look at the first of these. And that is that if you want a new marriage, if you want love to win, then you got to live in a covenant relationship. And I'll explain what I mean by that. You got to live in a covenant relationship. And I made it really, really simple because I think we married folks have a lot on our mind. And unless it's really simple, we'll forget it, right? So if you want a new marriage, you got to let love win. And in order for love to win, you have to embrace a covenant relationship and marriage. How do you do that? Really simple. I'm going to tell you about one thing you need to stop doing and one thing you need to start doing. That's simple, right? Yeah. One thing we stop, one thing we change, and one thing we start, one thing we embrace. Are you ready? Yes, tell your neighbor, I'm ready. ready. I, I want a new marriage. With the same one, but I want a new marriage. Okay, you're not proposing to somebody. You're, you're declaring you want a new marriage. Young people, this would be a good time to sit around other young uh, single people. Amen? You ready for this? If we're going to have a new marriage, we got to let love win. And in order for love to win, we got to live in a covenant relationship. And to do that, here's the first thing we need to stop. Fill this out in your outlines. You got to reject a contract attitude. You got to reject a contract attitude. I heard a, a man in one occasion say, love in marriage doesn't exist. It's a facade. It's a lie. Love in marriage doesn't exist. 
He says marriage is more about an agreement, a contract between one man and one woman. The man commits to providing for the family and the woman commits to caring for the home and the children. Now, I don't know about you, but that's, that's a really sad attitude to have about marriage. If that's what marriage has become, then that is a horrible way to live. And many people today will, would not say there isn't love in marriage, but they do live like marriage is a contract. And if we approach marriage as a contract, then we will not win. Love will not win. You know, we live in a society of contracts. Everything is about contracts, right? Gyms, some of you have gym memberships that you haven't gone to and you're still paying for it. Why? Because you signed a contract. Some of you, you have a car payment for a car you don't even have anymore because you signed a contract. See, and because our society is very contact driven, then it's easy to approach marriage as if it was a contract. And people will say stuff like, well, if you don't comply with me, if you don't meet my needs, then we're going to break up. If you demand too much of me, well, then I'm going to leave you. If I don't get what I expect from you, then we're done. If this gets too hard and too difficult, then I'm going to go try something else. That is an attitude that sees marriage as a contract. And if you approach marriage as, well, if it doesn't give me what I want, then I'll just start a new marriage, your marriage will not survive. Marriages with a contract attitude cannot survive. That is why Jesus said that in marriage, two people become one. They become one. They're not two. They are one. Look at what 1 Corinthians 6, 16 and 17 says right there in your outlines. It says, for the scripture says, the two are united into what? One. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Now, listen to what Paul does here. This is so amazing. Paul takes the unity between two people becoming one, and he compares it to our uniting with God as we become one. And he says, just like when we are adopted by God and his spirit is put upon us and we become one with the Lord, the same happens when two individuals decide to unite, they become one. Now, question, how do we become one with the Lord? Well, let me put it very simple. We got to surrender our will, right? As long as we want to do it our way. We can't be one with the Lord. We got to humble ourselves before the Lord and say, I've sinned, you're right, and I need your forgiveness. And then we have to pursue him. He's been pursuing us. He's the one who sent his son. And now we also have to pursue him. And when we do these things, we become one with the Lord. Well, the same needs to happen in marriage. And let me tell you, when two individuals become one, something very powerful happens. 
you then become a fountain of blessing and happiness. You then become an unstoppable force with a divine purpose. Your potential is multiplied exponentially. And that is why the enemy does all he can to divide you and to break you up and to make you miserable so that you don't become that. And that's why Jesus said, he said in Mark 10, uh, 9, he said, let no one split apart what God has joined together. And one of the things we need to avoid in our day is this attitude of approaching marriage as a contract. You know, I met my wife when we were seven years old. We migrated to, to this wonderful nation when we were seven years old. And our parents were good friends. And, you know, we met when we were seven years old. At age 16, she fell in love with this bunch of hunk. And um, <laughs> well, you think that's funny? It's true. God created me for her. That's how special I am. At age 16, which I don't recommend, I don't recommend, we started dating. We dated for eight plus years, which is horrible. Long-term relationship, right, Mark? Oh, oh, Mimi's next to you. Okay, so somebody else? No. We dated for eight years, and we've been married, listen to this, for 16 years. And I tell her, I tell her, because we get upset at each other. We get mad at each other. We never throw things at each other, but, but, but we have our fights. And I tell her, listen, woman, if you leave me, I'm following you. I'm following you. And if you put a restraining order, I, it doesn't matter. I'm following you. Okay? We're one, and I'm going to do all I can so that nothing splits us apart. You want a new marriage? Love's got to win. And for love to win, you cannot have an attitude of a contract when it comes to marriage. So that's the thing you stop. Here's the thing you start doing. In order for love to win, we have to embrace a covenant relationship. And that is my point number two. You got to embrace the marriage covenant. You got to embrace marriage as a covenant. There is, there is, this concept, this precept that God placed in marriage, and that is that it's a covenant. Look at what Genesis 2, 21 through 23 says. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into deep sleep. You know why God caused Adam to fall asleep? Because if he was awake, he was going to want to help, and he was just going to mess it up. Sounds about right, right, Leslie? Sounds right. I went to a mechanic shop and they had this sign and they said, if we fix it, it's $50. If we fix it and you watch, it's $70. If we fix it and you help, it's $90. If you try to fix it and then we have to fix it, it's $200. I thought it was a great sign. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep while the man slept that's what we're good at ladies so if you if we fall asleep it's from the beginning okay god didn't wake us up so you shouldn't either 
Thank you. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a whoa man from the rib and he brought her to the man at last. Remember your wedding day? Remember your wedding day? At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bones from my bones and flesh. Now notice to what Adam is saying here. This is where I want to focus. This one is bone from my bones and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from the man. See, in the biblical times, when covenants were made, there was a cutting of sorts. It involved a sacrifice. And in a very practical way for us to understand today, A covenant can mean to cut. To go into a covenant means to be cut. Adam was literally cut for Eve. God literally cut him and opened him up, took a rib and made Eve for him. Now, it gets even better. Jesus was cut for you and me. In order for us to go... See, God doesn't have a contract with us. He has a covenant with us. And that covenant was made through his son, Jesus Christ. And he was cut for us so that we could have a relationship with him. And see, when we get married, it's not a contract. It's a covenant. It is a promise of love. And and single people, if you're not ready to do this, then you're not ready to get married. Because going into marriage, we got to be willing to be cut so that our marriage can live. Remember that old song, Love Hurts? Now I understand. Back then, I just looked at, well, people cheat and people are mean. No, now I understand why love hurts. Because true love is a covenant, and a covenant requires a continual sacrifice on our behalf. We got to be willing to be cut for the, for the well-being of our, of our marriage. Now, pastor, I hope you know, I hope you know that I don't mean literally and physically. Ladies... Tonight, don't come out with a knife and say, you love me? Let's find out because you'll, I'll have to go visit you in prison. Don't do that. That's not what I mean, okay? And if you have done that, see me after the service so we can pray for you. (laughs) Let me tell you three ways. You ready? Let me tell you three ways that you got to be willing to be cut. So that love can win. Are you ready? Here's the first one. How do we cut so that we can embrace a covenant, uh, the covenant of marriage? Well, here's the first way. You got to surrender your right to your priority. You got to surrender your right to your priority. Okay? This is exactly what Christ did for his bride. Who is his bride? The church. Who is the church? You and me. 
This is exactly what Christ did. This is one of the ways he was cut to live out the covenant with us. Look at what Paul says in Philippians 2, 5 and 8. You must have what? Same attitude. Not the same wishes and thoughts, but the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. What was that attitude, Pastor Nestor? Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. In other words, he didn't say, well, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. It was through me that everything was created. I'm too good to go down there and die for Nestor. Have you seen him? The guy is so impatient and the guy gets easily angry. No, he did not use any excuse to not come and die for me and for you. Instead, verse 7 says, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus gave up his rights because he loved Because he loved you and he loved me. And this was a voluntary surrender. It was not an obligation. It was not a mandate. It was not forced upon him. He voluntarily did it because he loved you. Look at what verse 7 says. It says he gave up his divine privileges. If we want our marriage to thrive, we got to give up our privileges. So what if you're the only one who works? You are one. So what if it was your idea? You are one. So what if it was you who went to school? You are one. He gave up his divine privileges. And then verse 8 says that he took a what? Humble position. He humbled himself. He died for you and for me. We got family members that won't even give us a ride and Jesus was willing to die for us. Am I right? And listen, we got to do the same in marriage. We got to do the same in marriage. You ready for this? That is why single people, I always say that singleness is a gift from God. It should be temporary, but it's a gift from God. It should be something you enjoy to the max. Married people, listen to me. What what does surrendering your priority mean? You ready for this? You ready for this? It means you are not number one anymore. It means you humble yourself and you don't think of yourself first. You can no longer be the most important person in your life. You cannot seek to meet your needs first if you're married. And that's the difference between a covenant and a contract. Because a contract says, well, if you do this for me, then I'll do that for you. But a covenant says, no, I am committed to do this whether you do this or not. And that's why it cuts. Now, how do you put other people first. How do you give up your privileges? This single people, this is where you got to listen up. This is the biggest takeaway from you, okay? The first thing you got to do 
and us married people too, but we got to do it in a different way because now we're married, is that you first must grow up to independence. You must become an independent person first. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, it means you become whole. It means you become complete. It means you are not dependent. It means that you are a healthy person, that you value yourself, that you love yourself, that you have a clear identity in who you are. Until you can do that, you are not ready to get married. Because whatever issues you blame on your dad and your mom will become the issues you blame on your spouse. You cannot give what you don't have. And if you are a dependent person, you'll become a burden in your marriage. If you're an insecure person, you cannot bring solidarity to your marriage. If you don't have a clear identity of who you are in yourself, you will not trust people in your marriage. So the first thing we got to do is become the right person. Okay, but it doesn't stop there because the second thing that we do is that then we surrender to independence. We surrender our independence so that we can strengthen the marriage. See, first we become something and then we yield it down for the sake of our marriage. Now, you may be saying, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. You're asking me to become something and then give it up. No, no, let me illustrate it this way. Let me illustrate it this way. Sports are a great, a great way to illustrate this because it is often said in sports that the name in the front of the jersey is more important than the name on the back, right? And an athlete doesn't mean he doesn't have to work hard. He doesn't have to hone his skills. He doesn't have to become strong. He doesn't have to be healthy because he, he, an athlete doesn't say that because he says, well, the team will win. No, no, no. Athletes work. They become the best they can, but they know that it is about we and not me. And it is in the context of the team winning that the individual can better shine, right? Last Sunday and in every Super Bowl, there's an MVP. The one player that stood out. Now, here's what we know. We recognize their excellence, but we know that that individual alone did not win the game. Cooper Cup did not win the game. He didn't make tackles. It was Aaron Donald who did it. It was a team effort. But see, when you are willing to surrender and put the we, put the marriage before the me, well then, love wins. And that is how we surrender our priority here's the second thing the second thing that it means to be cut the second way that you got to be willing to be cut to embrace the covenant of marriage and that is that you got to surrender your right to your property you got to surrender your right to your property you want to know what's your biggest property not your car or your bank account you ready for this it's your body your body is your biggest property and i don't mean physically okay listen to me Listen to me. You might want to write this down somewhere. Selfish people cannot have successful marriages. Selfish people cannot have successful marriages. They could be married, but it won't be successful. It won't be a, a good one. <clears> 1 <throat> Corinthians 7, 4, one of the favorite verses of many men. 
Look at what it says. His wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Now, once again, these have to be voluntary acts. There's got to be a voluntary surrender for the good of the marriage. It can't be forced. It can't be mandated. It can't be demanded because it doesn't work. It is a surrender that we say, what is mine is ours. And what is yours is ours. Because, listen to me. Can I get down and dirty with you? Can I get real? Some of you, you want a united, successful marriage, and you can't even have joint bank accounts. Come on, somebody. Some of you, you don't even know how much your spouse makes. And here's the thing. Listen to me. Anything, any wall that creates division will end up dividing the marriage. We got to cut those walls down and say, whatever is mine is yours. Whatever is yours is mine. And I know the men aren't thinking, pastor will tell them about their bodies too, okay? So I have to do justice and say, ladies, ladies, it cannot be forced. It's got to be voluntary, okay? Your body doesn't belong to you anymore. It's his. But guys, check it out. Your body doesn't belong to you either. It belongs to her. So when she needs somebody to throw out the trash, she could use your body to do that. When she needs somebody to go get milk, she could use your body to do that. And you lay it down because you say, I have it, but it's not mine. It's ours. You want a united marriage? You you got to cut All the things that can divide. This includes your money, your talents, your time, and your body. Amen? And then the third. Here's the third way to cut. You cut so that you can embrace the covenant marriage by surrendering your right to your privacy. Surrendering your right to your privacy. If you're not willing to be vulnerable, don't get married. If you like secrecy, don't get married. Because in marriage, there can't be any privacy. This Valentine's Day, I saw, I saw a meme online that I thought it was funny. And I couldn't find it. I was, gonna, I was trying to find it so I could show it to you. And it said, oh, you say you love each other? How about you exchange phones and give each other's passwords? There can't be any privacy in marriage. Look at what Genesis 2.25 says. Look at this. Now the man and his wife were what? Both naked, but they felt no shame. When was the last time that was true? (laughs) Now listen to me. In marriage, there needs to be complete transparency. If you want love to win, if you want to embrace 
marriage is a covenant and not a contract, there can't be any transparency. There are no passwords that I have that Lorena doesn't have access to. I don't hide my phone. My phone at night sits next to my bed charging and she's welcome to grab it whenever she wants. My computers, my kids even know my passwords. In order for marriage to work, my family knows my passwords. They leech off of me for Netflix and no, we share, we share, we share. We all share, because we're a family, so we share. One pays Disney Plus, the other one pays. But, but listen, here's where I'm going. Here's where I'm going. Here's where I'm going. There's got to be transparency. Can, can I confess something to you? Can I confess? And, and this, some of the, the leaders know this. Some of my closest friends know this. Um, my wife and I were so open uh, to each other that when we feel, and, 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 and you know this to be true, when we feel that somebody's trying to make a move on us, we tell each other. We tell each other. And sometimes, sometimes I'll notice things that she doesn't notice and sometimes she'll notice things that I don't notice. And we have to have the kind of transparency to say, hey, Nestor, have you noticed that so-and-so is a little too friendly with you? Just be careful. Hey, Lorena, I noticed that so-and-so was kind of looking at you a little bit improper, so be careful. Some marriages can't even have those conversations. And if you can't have those, love won't win. Fear, jealousy, bitterness will win. You want to know something? My wife could be out to three in the morning and there won't be one single thought in my mind that she's cheating on me. You know why? Because I know her. I know her. I know her. I don't want her out at three in the morning because I'm concerned that some drunk driver will hit her or something, right? I don't want her out at three in the morning. But in my mind, I never have the concern that she could cheat on me. And she's beautiful and hot. Right? Watch out, Monroe. That was the one place you don't say amen. (laughs) I'm glad we can laugh as we talk about a serious subject, right? But let let me just say this. Now, once again, please, 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 please don't think that Lorena and I have a perfect marriage. We don't. You could ask any of my family members. We don't. In fact, can I tell you something? We just made an appointment because we need marriage counseling. We're going to go. We're going to invest in our marriage and and improve those areas that are not not working like they should. But, but, But let me go back to the transparency thing. Here's why transparency is important. You know where the enemy gets his power? In secrecy. When a a sin is a secret, it's when a sin is his most powerful. And when we keep things from one another, we are giving the enemy a foothold to have something to attack and divide our marriage. 
Share your concerns. Share your doubts. Be transparent with them. I'm not just talking about past. I, I, I mention that because that is the easiest thing to do. But, but you got to be willing to let your spouse know how you're feeling. When you're frustrated, let them know. Especially so that they know that it's not you that's making them frustrated, but maybe something else. When you're concerned, let them know. There got to be transparency. And these things are hard to do. Giving up our priority, giving up our property, giving up our, our privacy, they're hard. And that is why it's a cut. But it is that cutting that makes marriage a covenant. Amen? If you agree with me, would you give the Lord a round of applause? I am praying, I am praying that God would renew our marriages. And if your marriage is not healthy right now, I want to tell you, don't give up. Don't give up. God can redeem it. God always works through remnants. God always works through the minority. God always works with the small. And you are not the exception. I am praying for you during this series. And I am believing that if you have a good marriage, God is going to make it better. And if you have a struggling marriage, that God is going to give you victory. And I want to ask you to start preparing for something. At the end of this series, we're going to have a vow renewment, a vow renewal ceremony. We're going to invite you. Maria is the only one that applauded and all the married people didn't. That's why we left it towards the end and not the beginning because we know you got to get ready. But listen to me. Here's basically what I want to challenge you to do. Here's basically what I want to challenge you to do. In renewing our vows, we want to say, I still do. One day we said, I do. And we just want to be able to say, I still do. Doesn't mean it's perfect, but I still do. This is not a contract. It's a covenant. I still do. So on March 20th, Mark your calendars, March 20th. When we end our series, we want to have a type of ceremony where we can renew our vows and maybe you can save up some money and have a little honeymoon that night. I, good idea. Look at all the married people, how excited they are. Tell it, the Lord is showing me what I need to pray for. So, in fact, in fact, I want to make this invitation. If you, you don't have to be married. You don't have to be married. Um, but if you would like to help us to brainstorm and plan and execute this uh, vow ceremony, come talk to me. I, I want to make it special. I, I even want to try to get some special pictures and, and decorate in here. So if you're interested, is that, that, that's one of the ways you can get involved in Spring and say, Pastor, I, I want to help. I got some ideas. I think we could do this. Or I don't got ideas, but, but just use me for whatever you want. Um, we want to do something special that day. And we want to be able to invest and encourage marriages once again. Amen? Yeah. Amen? Let love win. 1 Corinthians 13.8 says, love never fails. We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare him your God. No one loves you like Jesus, and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart 
and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations. If you made that prayer, God lives in you and now you have a new life in him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Day Spring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.